Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Great being with you on this wonderful Sunday, uh, yeah, at the beginning of December, and uh, you can just see everywhere, everybody's faces is just kind of going into a relaxed mode. Um, I hope it's true for you as well, that there will be a bit of rest in this next season. And uh, it's my privilege today to start a new sermon series as we go into this holiday season that we're talking about the concept of traveling light. And it's actually not just the travel that you're going to do if you go on holiday, but the way that we travel in life. Now, if I look at this suitcase, I am, yeah, I, I, I can't think about anything else rather than my wife when we travel. Um, I don't know. We, I mean, we've been married 30 years this year. And uh, uh, we have exactly the same suitcase, exactly, like proportionally, color, everything. But when we do travel, it's always, it amazes me that she has the capacity to literally have 50% more weight in her suitcase than I have in mine. Exactly the same suitcase. And because her suitcase is always so full, when we do travel internationally, Guess which suitcase the security will stop to literally analyze in the smallest detail and unpack everything on a table where everybody can see it. It is always hers. And because hers looks just like mine, guess which is the second most popular one to actually be unpacked because if this one is so full, maybe the next one has drugs in it or boltong or whatever. That's just the reality. So when we talk about full luggage, I mean it is part of human nature. And some of us, it's just easier to always overload. Now, that, maybe you've, you've seen the movie Finding Nemo, one of my favorites. And uh, there's this little scene, every time I see it, I think that is probably the summary of human nature. That is when, when this little fish escapes, and then there's the seagulls. Do you, do you remember that scene with the seagulls? And when the fish just pops out of the water, the seagulls are sitting there, and they are saying, mine, mine, mine. <laughs> it is the essence of human nature. We have a capacity to kind of grab everything in our environment, call it our own, and then be responsible to carry it. That's the summary of our story. I mean, if you go back to the book of Genesis and you look at the story of God and man, it was in this moment where man is in the perfect God and in a perfect relationship with God, having everything supplied by God, not just in terms of His goodness, but in terms of His presence. And it is in this perfect environment that the snake walks in and says, there's something that you need. And what do they do? They pop up and they say, mine mine. I'll grab it. I'll take the lie. I'll take whatever you give. I will take it. I will put it in my suitcase and I will now be responsible for it. And that is probably the, the biggest issue that we have as humans is taking stuff on, loading things onto our lives that is not necessarily helpful for us to live the life that God intended for us to live. And in this series, we want to we challenge some of those unwanted luggage that we are carrying. The, the, the hurts, because 
In them we also say, mine, in the offenses, in the distractions, in the junk, in the waste, even in religion, we kind of constantly say, mine. We love gathering things. It is better to have less of what you of what does not matter and more of what does that is a principle you see man in the garden could have made the decision to say we have a lot of what matters we have God's provision we have God's presence we have relationship with God but in a moment man made the choice in saying that I'd rather have more of what doesn't matter than what really matters. And we want to challenge just in this, this series that, that principle. It is a theme that runs through the Bible. Just going through, through the writings of Paul recently, I, I, I read an amazing book about the, the life of Paul. If ever you come across it, it's N.T. Wright. He writes the biography of Paul, and it's a beautiful, beautiful just summary of the life of Paul. And and one of the things that, that's a theme in the, in the communication of the gospel is our freedom. Because what Christ came to do was to restore us to live in that freedom that God intended for us to live in. In that moment in, in the book of Genesis, man gives up what really matters for what doesn't matter. And in the process, he loses his freedom. And listen how Paul puts it, and I love the way that, uh, that it's, uh, it's translated in, in the paraphrase message translation. It's in the book of Galatians chapter 5. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. That is the reality. That's the sum total of the gospel, to live in this freedom that Christ acquired for us. But then he says, and, and it's, it's so interesting how, how, how Eugene Peterson just captures this, this difference in the language as he says, this is the God's intense, but intense. But then he says to us, now stand in this. There's something that needs to happen in us to say, I want to protect my freedom. Because if we, even within the concept and even within the reality of the freedom of Christ, choose to give up our freedom by saying mine over stuff that's not important, we are actually giving up that freedom. We are choosing to live a life of bondage. So he says, now take your stand. Take your position. Be in a position to defend this freedom. Never again let anyone put a harness on, of slavery on you. Then he goes on. He says, I'm emphatic about this. The moment anyone of you submits to, and then he uses the example of circumcision or any other rule-keeping system. And this is crazy, the way that he puts it here. He says, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. Yo, it's like, Paul, can you put it more clearly, please? We still don't understand it. Is there the possibility that I can live in this amazing, acquired freedom of Christ and squander freedom? Yes, I can. He says, I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of a free life in Christ for the obligations of a slave life of law. 
I suspect you would never intend this. But this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. And you fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious, conscientious religious or, uh, religion or disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more uh, interior. Faith expressed in love. That's where God is taking us. That's the, the, the space of freedom in our lives is when our faith in Christ is joined by our love for people. The moment we, we enter into that space, when we live in this dependent faith relationship in Christ, but we also live in a love relationship with people. That's the place where our freedom really happens. Now, the whole world in which we live, live in exactly the opposite spirit. We live in a world that loves acquiring, that loves saying mine over everything. It says mine over, over so many things, and especially today as we talk about probably the stuff that we don't really like talking about, and that's when it comes to our possessions. Because, I mean, never before in history has people owned so much as we do today. Uh, do you realize that? Have, have you ever like walked into someone's home that, that's maybe in their 80s or 90s and you just look at the difference in terms of simplicity of life? I was always so, so gripped by, by when, when I walked into, into my mother-in-law's house because she really lived a life of faith and love. And I never saw anything that was not used, that was not that was, was not necessary because she had a way of living in an, a very simple understanding that if I don't use it, someone else can, and therefore I will not have it. How beautiful is that principle? The moment that you understand that we can, in, in our way of, of having stuff, actually overload our lives in a way that actually might be stealing your freedom. You see, there's no problem in owning anything, but there's a massive challenge that when you own something, it's actually you being owned by that thing. In our lives as a family, we, we always tell this story, and maybe you've heard it before. Um, we, we, I grew up very poor, so having a swimming pool was the ultimate for me. I mean, it was only very rich people that had, had swimming pools. So w when our children were born, we were like dreaming about a swimming pool. And um, we, we actually got to the place where we put in a swimming pool, like a very small one, one of those that, that's three by two meters, you know, so you can stretch out and touch the sides no matter where you stand in the pool. And we put in this pool. And I, I so dreamed about this. And it was literally, having a pool was like number one on my list in terms of just having stuff in life. And then I got the pool. And then I realized, I don't have a pool. A pool has me. Because who knows, who, who in this room has had a pool and discovered that that thing asks for attention 24 hours 
a day. My wife always accuses me. She says, I have two wives. One is her, and the other one is the pool. And sometimes when I get home, I first visit my second wife. Because I am worried. It's a dust storm in Bloemfontein. And then I get home and I'm worried. What's going on? And then I get there and then I find the creepy. Like sitting in the corner and having some panic attack because of the dust of Brantford coming over Bloemfontein and not being able to get it out. And then before I, I realize, I've spent half an hour nurturing my second wife. <laughs> and then I go into the house and I find in a bit of an upset first wife. And I've discovered with my pool that having something, you must actually very cautiously answer the question, do I really need it? And what will be the unintended consequence of having that? Because everything that I own has the capacity to actually own me. And the moment I am owned, I violate what Paul is writing about in Galatians 5. He's saying, you are squandering the freedom in Christ. Can a swimming pool squander the freedom in Christ? Yes, it can. Can a dream of having anything, a new car, a new house, even a new wife, squander the freedom that you have in Christ? Can the desire that when we go into a season like this where everybody is advertising everything and everything seems to be, take note, seems to be on sale. No business is closing down because they're not making profits, just to say it. Everything seems to be on sale. Is it possible that we can fall into that trap of again just getting more and more. Listen to what Solomon says in his wisdom. He says, Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What a beautiful just idea in wisdom. He says, If you have one handful, that is enough. We always think that having two hands full will be better. If one burger is good, two burgers will be better. If one holiday is good, two holidays will be better. Oh goodness, if we go down that line, we're going to end up in trouble. Because most of the time, it's not true. Having two burgers is not good. Ask me. Having... To wives, it's definitely not good. But having two of anything might be a trap that two might become more, and more might become the owner of your life. And that's the challenge that he brings. Jesus said exactly the same thing, just a little bit more harshly. He said, Luke 12, verse 15, I'm now going to look at that scripture. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of, and then he calls it, greed. Greed is the wanting of two hands full. That's the one, that's the greed. It is a desire to constantly have more, for what reason it might be. Whether it is just to have, it's a sense of security. Whether it's an image thing of, of feeling successful Something of safety. 
just knowing that there's enough. All of those things has the capacity in terms of greed to really mess up our lives. And then Jesus says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What does life consist of? We'll talk about that right now. So what does a one handful life look like? What, what does that look? How do we get to the place where we live a one handful life? The beautiful thing of this picture is I think if we have one hand full, it will always leave a second hand to actually handle what I have. If both hands are full, guess what? There's no hand to handle, to manage what I have. And I think there's three very simple principles in getting our lives to a place of freedom that constantly will challenge us when it comes to our possessions. The first one is very simple, and it's a good idea this time of the year. The first principle is throw away. Get rid of stuff. Throw it out. Why are we saving that number 46 pants that you will never wear again? Why are you saving it? Why are you having closets full of stuff that's not going to be used? I mean, that's the way that we live. Just the other day, myself and Yorita will say, was sitting and we, we were discussing our holiday plans and deciding we're not going to go the, away this year. And he said, what are we going to do? And the first thing I thought of, let's throw away almost everything we have. And I got my wife a bit nervous because I'll not talk about it, but she's a bit sentimental. Anybody sentimental in this room? So she has like the chocolate paper that of the first chocolate that I gave her in 1990. She still has that in a little diary. Fast beautiful, but she also has all our children's teeth that they lost, their first clips of hair, and their little nolstringies. So I always say that's like a tour doctor's dream. I mean, that little box, once they, they, we had a burglary in our home, and the guys threw out all the, the contents of the closet, so I walked into our room, and I said, I think I'm going to pick up this before I phone the police, because they're going to think there was a murder, because the whole room was full of teeth. Everybody's teeth was, and now we don't know which teeth is which child's. It's just they're all just in one container now. So maybe it's time that we just throw it out. Now, we have a process we call street store in Doxdale Bloemfontein. And it's more than just blessing the city. It's about more than that. It's also about keeping us free. By not allowing clothes to stack up that's not being used. Can you imagine just the, how light life will be if you open your closet and there's more than enough space? And I'm speaking out of a personal situation because I lost a bit of weight. So I got rid of all my clothes. And then at a stage, I literally had no clothes. I mean, like literally nothing. And then I had the, I had the opportunity to, again, decide what I'm going to buy and what I'm going to wear. And so you'll see I'll, I'll, I'm not wearing any, like, check shirts anymore. Because if you're overweight, 
you can only buy a check shirt. So I don't have anything against the check shirt if you have one. But I have had enough check shirts for a whole lifetime. So I decided one of my first principles, I will never buy a check shirt again. Not while I'm alive. So that's why I have one with like nice stamps on it. But you know what I discovered? You need so much less clothing than you think you need. If you, if you go out and you, and you really think about it and you start planning and realizing, you know, if I have two jeans, that's more than enough. Why do we have 14 and 15 and 16 and 18 and 20 of everything? Because somewhere we believed a lie. Someone set a trap for us in thinking that if we have more, we'll be better. We'll be okay. The principle is, we don't throw out just for other people. We throw out for ourselves. When last did you walk through your house and said, what's the most important thing for me in this house? What's the most important thing? What will be the thing that will be the most difficult thing for me to get rid of? And then walk up to that thing and say, I pro proclaim my freedom. I will give you away. I want to promise you that is the best exercise you can do. That's something that we regularly do in our house. What's the thing? Is it something sentimental? Is it something of value? Is it something we treasure? Is it something that we hope that someday we will use it? No, walk up to it. Look it in the eye and say, you don't own me. I own you. And now I don't own you anymore. I'll give it to someone else. I will bless someone with that. That's the kind of exercises that makes Christianity real. That's the kind of stuff that through the ages, Christians have become known for. We are renowned in history for our capacity to live free from possessions and being generous to whoever has a need. That is when faith in Christ and love for people are joined in one life of freedom. Throw it out. Two reasons why we hold stuff, hold on to stuff. First one is fear, and the second one is sentiment. And both are not good. And I don't want to bash your sentiment, but be cautious that sentiment does not actually nurture a bigger celebration of the past than of the present. Sentiment can make you, literally, it, it, can, it can arrest you in the past. You can be jailed in the past. And not live in the present. If you have that beautiful thing, take a picture and save it somewhere. And then you will remember it. But why do, you, why do we keep it? Why do we hold on to it? Why do we fill our closets and then if our closets are full, we fill our garages that our cars can't park in the garage. And then the, 
most famous thing of our time. Then we rent extra space. And they make a lot of money in our city. Storage space. So that we can put all the stuff that we don't need, but we think we want. I think it's a crime against our freedom. Limited. I have a, I'm not very sentimental, so it's easy to talk about it, but I do have like a little sentimental box. And for me, that is the stuff that's really important. So I get rid of everything apart from stuff that's related to people. And over many years, over 30 years in ministry, I've had like little notes from people. I've had like letters from people. I've had emails that literally, they, they were investment in my life. If you open my sentiment box, you will find those there. Because in the days that I sit and I wake up in the morning and I feel, why am I doing this? I sometimes open that little box and I start reading those letters because they are the encouragements of my life. But that's all. And I'm not saying you should do the same thing, but just challenge what you are actually holding on to. And secondly, the thing that we, why we, we hold on to stuff is fear. Someday I will need it. No, someday God will provide. Why? Why would I keep it? Why would I find my hope in myself? Why would I build my security in terms of what I have? Why don't I give it away and see it as seed that is sown and someday it will bring in a harvest? The God that supplied yesterday is the same God that will supply tomorrow. I don't have to help God. God is not going to go into bankruptcy. He's not running into financial trouble. He's not kind of running like Spider-Man out of his supernatural capacity. He doesn't shoot webs and then they're not there anymore. God is not like that. There's no limit in God's capacity. Why would I want to help God? To just make sure that if someday something would go wrong and I would need this and God would not be able to supply that I would be say, oh, oh, at least I'm safe. Lord, I did not throw it away. I did not give it away. I was so clever. Well, God is looking at our lives and saying, no, you're not clever. But in very, very big love, he says, you stupid. Get rid of the stuff. I'll give you new ones when you need it. I'll bless you. I'll bless you in ways that you cannot even imagine. Second one. How do we live a life of freedom? Very simple, buy less. Buy less. You know that most people buy stuff to feel better? I don't want to ask you to put up your hand. <laughs> but you know that kind of kick it gives to buy something new, to have something new, to just know I have it, I bought it, whether it's on my credit card or not, <laughs> it's not that important. I just, I just have it. People buy to escape. They buy to entertain. And they buy to feel good. And the problem with that is that it's actually filling a space in your life that should be filled with something else. Or actually with someone else. The only one that can really satisfy. 
And Jesus tells this story that we read about in Luke 12 about the guy and his possessions. And I, I, I want to challenge you. Go read it. I, I'm quickly going to read just a few verses. Verse 16 to 19, the message says, um, Jesus tells the story. He says, uh, a farmer of a certain, certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he talked to himself. And he said, what can I do? My barn is big enough for this, isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. Storage. And I'll gather in all my grains and goods. And I will say to myself, self. <laughs> I love the way that it's just explained here. Self. You've done well. You've got it made. And now you can retire. Take it easy. And have the time of your life. And then Jesus tells the story. He says, and then God showed up and he said, you fool. <laughs> Tonight you will die. And you're born full of goods. Who will get it? That's what happens when you fill your life with self and not with God. Why do we buy many times? It's a void. It's an emptiness. What, how, do we, how do we get out of that trap? By less. We live in a culture that is obsessed with gifts. And especially in this Christmas time. And I don't want to say don't buy gifts. But if you have children, I want to challenge you to rather let them become accustomed to smaller and lesser gifts than to bigger and more gifts. We've, with our children, had years where we said, this year is a no-gift year. This year, as a family, we will bless other people. We will give other people gifts. The first year, I will, I will always remember that. Before Christmas, we had tears of children crying. And we as parents felt like we are the worst parents alive. We are telling our children, you're gonna, not going to get gifts. We were afraid they will tell their grandparents and they will take us out of their testaments. But I will never forget the faces of my children on that Christmas morning when we stopped at the house of other people that were not as fortunate as we are. And my children carried the gifts that they should have had and gave it away. I will never forget that day. Why don't we challenge this culture? Why don't we live in our freedom? We have a a gift-obsessed culture. And that's why we have a debt-obsessed culture. Third thing, give more. Throw out, that's easy. Buy less and give more. Why should we give more? Listen to what Paul says. He says the following, 1 Timothy 6. He says, command those who are rich. Now, most of us might think, okay, fortunately, that's not me. Quick news break. If you drove here with a car this morning, you are in the 5% richest people on planet Earth. If you have a smartphone, you are in the group of about the richest people, 1% on planet Earth. If ever you ordered something online, ever, take a lot, Amazon, whatever, you are most probably in the 0.5% richest people on planet Earth. 
That's just a reality. To who Paul speaking? I think most of us. He says, to those rich in this present world, do not be arrogant and put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. And listen to how he explains it. How do I put my hope in God? Who richly provides to us everything for our enjoyment. There's two big things there. The first thing is God provides. The second thing is God provides for us to enjoy as well. We don't have to feel guilty when we have something nice. I mean, let's just get honest. It's nice to have something nice. And God wants to bless you with something nice. But maybe one is enough. And I have to bless myself. God will bless. Then Paul gets very serious. So I don't have to say anything. I'm just going to read what he says. He says, command them. I can see Paul. If you read his, his biography, I think they say he was like a shortish guy with a very big nose and a unibrow. Not known for his friendliness. So I think when he says, command them, I can just see this picture of this pastor. He, isn't, he doesn't have a smile. He says, command them. What do you command them? Buy more. Keep more. Hoard up. Is that what you command them? No. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. That is Christian life. That is when my faith in Jesus and my love for people get joined together in a life of freedom. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. I don't have to say anything more. God's Word says it all. Let's pray together. Father, as we go into this Christmas season where everybody just gets crazy and buying and accumulating and having party and giving gifts, Lord, we want to allow our faith in Christ to join our love for people in a life of freedom. Lord, we want to live that freedom. We want you to challenge us in our possessions, in our accumulation, in our credit, in the way that we do life, in our generosity. Lord, stir in us the true life of the Spirit, that we will live in the opposite Spirit. Open our eyes for our overstocked closets. Open our eyes for our unnecessary needs to buy. And also open our eyes, Lord, for the need that people have around us. And as we live in your love, let our generosity be the proof of the fact that we are changed. We will never be the same again. I pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 
Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.